Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about the facts, the fun and the fiction of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have some new stories including BMW's new electric vehicle which tells it like it is. Subaru's Outback gets a turbo boost and Toyota's big Tundra ute is being tested in right-hand drive in Australia. In our detailed road test, motoring writer Paul Morell and I have a chat about the Kia Stinger. It's not called a sports car, but it comes close with the advantage of four doors. And in our feature story, we catch up with Michael Caltabiano, the CEO of Australia's preeminent transport research organisation, who has established a new transport research organisation in the Australian capital, right near the seat of power. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's kick this program off with the news. BMW has dabbled in the past with electrification in the Australian market, including the i8 plug-in hybrid sports car and the all-electric i3. They have now started a new wave of vehicles, beginning with its iX models. The first ones to be released late last year were the iX xDrive 40 and xDrive 50. Same body, different power, they are classified as large SUVs. We test drove the X-Drive 40 with its 240 kilowatts of power and its 630 newton metres of torque with a range of up to 425 kilometres. Its 0 to 100 kilometre an hour acceleration time is just 6.1 seconds. Now the more powerful X-Drive 50 can do this acceleration in 4.6 seconds. The interior features BMW's curved display and latest generation iDrive system. The graphics are high quality and the system provides extensive information. Points of interest categories in the SatNav, for example, include entertainment, art galleries, bars, concerts and historic monuments. And you can click on any site for more information. The voice actuation had some frustrations, but once you learnt its idiosyncrasies, it gave you some reassurance messages. Sydney Domestic Airport. I found several destinations. Which one shall I select? One. I've selected Sydney Airport Domestic. Should I start the route guidance? Yes. Our next destination is Sydney Airport Domestic. You may have noticed a certain amount of frustration in the questions posed to the system. There are extensive things you can do and adjust in this car that can require complex searches and this needs time to become familiar with. Soon after we picked up the vehicle and were travelling under tight time constraints, we struggled with getting what we wanted and ended up uttering a profanity. This is not uncommon with many new cars. The BMW system replied with... Please don't speak to me like that. The BMW X-Drive 40 is priced from nearly $136,000 plus on-road costs. When Subaru launched their latest sixth-generation Outback station wagon in early 2021, they had reduced the drivetrain options to just one engine. 
While the vehicle may have had many new features and held a special place in the market as a station wagon that you could take on some rougher roads, the lack of a diesel or even a performance petrol engine rankled with even the loyal enthusiasts. Subaru has now announced that they have responded to customer demands and are offering, in addition to the existing 2.5-litre naturally aspirated model, a turbocharged engine to the Outback range. First deliveries are anticipated before Christmas. The 2.4-litre turbocharged Boxster four-cylinder petrol engine appears to be a slightly detuned version of the power plant in the recently released WRX models. Still delivers 183 kilowatts of power, now that's 33% more than the normally aspirated engine, and 350 newton metres of torque, that's up 43% on the entry-level engine. Priced from $52,190 plus on roads, the turbocharged Subaru Outback will be available in two variants, the Sport XT and the Touring XT. Toyota has confirmed an extensive development program in Australia for their Tundra pickup, demonstrating its intentions for local development and evaluation experts to re-engineer Tundra in right-hand drive format, especially in Australia's wide-ranging road conditions. Toyota has partnered with Walkinshaw Automotive Group for its extensive experience in this type of work to develop and build Tundra right-hand drive vehicles for Australia. Prototype testing on public roads will begin this month. Then late next year, Toyota will deploy approximately 300 of these vehicles around Australia as part of the final stage of the right-hand drive re-engineering program. These vehicles will not be for sale, but will involve monitoring under our diverse real-world usage conditions. The vehicles will be equipped with a new inline hybrid system featuring a twin-turbo 3.5-litre petrol V6. The Tundra is classified as a full-size pickup and is currently manufactured in left-hand drive in America. Currently on the Australian market, other very large, some say huge, utilities include three Ram models and the Chevrolet Silverado. The first Tundra was built in 1999 and weighed around 1,800 to 1,900 kilograms, depending on the configuration. The latest model, the third generation, that has been built since late 2021, weighing between 2,300 and 2,800 kilograms. In geography, tundra means a treeless area beyond the timberline in high latitude regions, having a permanently frozen subsoil and supporting low-growing vegetation such as lichens, mosses and shrubs. And that has been the news. The Stinger remains the standard bearer for the Kia brand, so says the Kia company. And the first concept of their Stinger, the first concept was shown in 2011. It was not Kia's best-selling car by any means, or it hasn't been here in Australia, but it's had a good year so far in 2022 compared to previous year, and it's just been a, a regular performer for them. I would call it a sports car, but it has four doors, and I think that's why it doesn't get categorised as such. Maybe I'm just wrong. Who better to tell me than Paul Morell, a motoring journalist from SeniorDriverOz.com. G'day, Paul. Hi, David. How are you? Good, mate. Am I right? Would you call it a sports car? Um, look, the definition of sports car, like a lot of definitions, has been so open to interpretation. Um, 
I, you know, would you call a Subaru WRX a sports car? Would you call, you know, a BMW M3 a sports car? It's, yes, I think they are because they're cars that you drive for the sheer pleasure of driving them. And I guess to me, that would be the definition of a sports car. If you drive it just for the fun of driving it, as distinct from having to go to work and whatever, which you can also do, then yes, yeah, sports car applies. I just got out of an electric BMW, the big SUV, and it was a very plush lounge on wheels. Mm. And then I hopped into this, and, you know, I just drove it differently. When I changed lanes, I didn't do it frantically, but I just did it with a certain more decisiveness, whereas when I was in the lounge, I tended to float into those lanes. Mm. And it wasn't dangerous or, or... aggressive or cutting in or anything it's just when you steered it i got a different feeling to it yeah cars communicate with us in different ways obviously and some cars encourage you to be a bit more to release some of your inner whom shall we say very carefully i mean i was driving for example the aris the aris gr oh yeah, yeah. rally and that was just I just I drove it like an idiot, to be honest, because it was just every time I got in it, I felt like I, it was almost challenging me to go a bit further, go a bit harder, drive it. Not, again, nothing dangerous. I mean, even on you know day to day in traffic driving, but it was just one of those cars. And the Stinger, the Stinger sits somewhere between perhaps the Yaris GR Rally and and as you say, the BMW Electric Lounge on Wheels. When I drove it, it didn't sort of relate to me as much as I expected it to, and that may be my fault for all having expectations that were too high in the first place. Uh, I got to drive the first of the Stingers when they came out, and that was the four-cylinder one, which, to be honest with you, I thought was slightly better balanced than the six-cylinder. But I didn't get to drive the six-cylinder one because I happened to be overseas at the time. Uh, So the, the Stinger I drove, the current model, was the first Stinger V6 I'd driven. Um, it was great fun. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. But again, size size plays against it a little. I, I find that cars as big as, say, the BMW M3 or the, the Stinger tend to lose their sharp edge because they're a little heavy and a little large. Mm. I, I drove both the V6 and the, uh, the twin turbo V6 and the four-cylinder around Wakefield Park. Mm. And the balance of the four-cylinder... Less of that sheer grunty power, but the balance of it, I think, was better. I enjoyed it for that. Yeah. But I've got to say that the V6, 274 kilowatts, you know, it's got some punch. But then again, over our period of time since it's been launched, the electric vehicle has made punch far more aggressive. It's changed the definition of punch, hasn't it? I mean, when cars... Large cars can almost well. You get that immediate surge of power, instantaneous torque, um, and a petrol internal in- internal combustion engine car, no matter how good, will never give you that same instantaneous surge of power. On the other hand, make this point: the enjoyment of driving is is quite often a whole combination of factors. It's the noise, it's the smell, it's the feel, it's the all those things. And electric vehicles, for all their benefits. This obviously miss the noise thing unless it's artificially put in there. They don't quite convey that same sense of sporting intent. I looked on the cameras when I was reversing the Stinger and it showed an aerial, you know, a, a compilated aerial view of the car and it was long and thin and I felt good. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
It wasn't a block of an SUV. No, exactly right. It's nice to actually see something that's, uh, you know, of a human scale. (laughs) (laughs) It's a flowing car, isn't it? It is. I think it's got lovely lights and it's got a notch back. The window included opens at the the boot. Mm. And so you can get into that well. And so I think it makes that space usable. It's not hugely spacious in the back if you're a tall person it's a perhaps a little bit more like a grand tourer in that sense that you can carry a few more people and moderate comfort for those in the back but pretty good for those in the front all round it makes it makes good sense on a lot of levels i mean on price on practicality it's, it's a clever car in many ways it's interesting though that the model on which it was based is no longer being sold in australia ah that one was pulled off the list quite some time ago at the time, of course, we were saying, isn't it interesting that the Stinger has enough visual clues to stand it apart from the lesser model, the, the more basic model. But now it's sort of it's the only Kia of that size and shape because the, the model, whether it's still being sold overseas, I have no idea. But that model is no longer being sold in Australia. Its sales are up this year. It's doing mm. particularly well, but it's way down the bottom of the list of Kias. Although not that far behind the Picanto, the little car, totally different market, 1795 they've sold. It's up 75% compared to last year. Now, that's the Stinger. Yeah, the Stinger, which may be a part of supply, no doubt about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's more than Mustangs. That's more than, yeah. which is the biggest selling sports car, 959 sales. Yeah, I mean, the minute you put it into perspective like that, it, it, it is an impressive number. Yeah. And I must admit that every every Stinger owner I've spoken to, and I've spoken to a fair number over the, over the last couple of years, uh, they love them. They absolutely, everything about them. I mean, obviously, this is you saying, look, oh, a seven-year warranty. Try and get that from a BMW. <laughs> or, you know, and really, and the cost of servicing, for example. So when you take into account all those all those factors, I can understand why people just love them so much. It's not a super expensive car. The top of the range, super duper GT, whatever, is about nearly 67,000 drive away. And you can get into a very baseline one for about 53 drive away price. So, you know, comparing to others, that's about 49,500 recommended retail. So you've got to compare the two. Again, when you compare that to, say, say the Yaris GR Rally, which is, you know, here is damn at $60,000 for what is a a tiny Toyota, well, that's got some alliteration. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting comparison. I mean, they're, they're obviously not even in the same market. There's no way that a, a Yaris GR Rally buyer will go, oh, do I buy one of these or do I buy a Stinger? But, you know, when you put it on pure price and dollars per kilogram, if you like, there's a lot more value in a Kia than most other performance sedans. Mate, it'd be lovely to talk to you. And you, David, as always. Let's catch up again soon, eh? <laughs> sure, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, okay. Good on you, mate. Bye. Okay. And that was Paul Morell from SeniorDriverOz.com, a great uh, uh, person to reflect on without uh, necessarily being too narrow in his perceptions, but grabs uh, the, the whole concepts and uh, understandings of people and community uh, that adds to the value of what he writes. You're listening to Overdrive. Nissan has just launched the latest version of their classic sports car, the Nissan Z. It's without doubt the most stylish design since the original, simple and elegant 240Z in 1969. 
The latest Z Sports Coupe is powered by a V6 3.0-litre twin-turbo petrol engine. There's a choice of a close-ratio 6-speed manual with rev matching or a 9-speed sports automatic. Driving the rear wheels, the engine produces 298 kilowatts and 475 newton metres. Both the transmissions come with launch control for the first time. Inside it's tight, especially for someone like me that is bigger than the average bear. But if you're, say, 185 centimetres or under, you will fit well. Luggage space is minimalist, but the liftback hatch allows easy access. The Nissan Z is all about driving though, and it is so much fun to drive. One thing that really stood out on my initial drive is just how well the suspension has managed the balance between compliance and performance. If you want one, you better get in quick, as there are already way more orders than cars at this stage. Priced from around $73,300 plus the usual costs, it's a performance bargain. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia. Way back in 1960, an organisation was set up called the Australian Road Research Board. They established a research centre and an international reputation for insightful research. The laboratory was in the outer Melbourne suburbs, but a few years ago they set up a head office in inner Melbourne, a recognition of the need to be close on hand to engage with the people and organisations that can benefit from thorough scientific research. They're now called simply ARRB. Now they have 100... Now, they have 58 researchers covering nine major areas, and they made another significant step in a changing world. They have established the National Transport Research Organisation, NITRO, with a head office in Canberra. The chief executive officer at the ARRB will keep that position, but also head up the new organisation. Uh, that's Michael Tabiano, who is a friend, a good friend of the program. G'day, Michael. How are you, David? I'm I'm fighting fit. I, if we do have to have another acronym, I think Nitro is not bad. Well, it doesn't have the I in it, but I guess that's what it'll become known as. Um, that's what uh, people have ascribed to the brand. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's very interesting actually because it's it's been a journey that we've been on since 2017, as we reimagined the Australian Road Research Board with our board members who are now transport chief executives across Australia and New Zealand. Um, we have evolved into a transport business, road, rail, ports and airports. And in fact, we've brought the Australasian Centre for Rail Innovation, ACRI, on board. So we're actually amalgamating brands into a unique new offering for Australia and New Zealand. A number of government departments, of course, have come together. We now have uh, Transport for New South Wales, which in evokes both road, rail and uh, bus and all the other, um, what used to be, I guess, silos, and, and the same in Melbourne, and, and I, it's very much a common trend. Yet it's hard to make that work. Do we really need to make the focus is on understanding what's happening and what's working, not just on bureaucracies? Exactly. And that's exactly why the National Transport Research Organisation um, exists. And we've created it as the portal for innovation in Australia and New Zealand. It's the transport portal for innovation. If people want problems solved across the sectors done in this country before, because we've been very siloed, you know, roads people deal with roads and rail people deal with the rail sector. Well, what happens at a level crossing? What happens at all the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been spent in Victoria in removal of level crossings? Have we got a road solution, a rail solution, or a community transport solution? What we're really after across this country 
is tra integrated transport solutions that enable mobility of goods, services, people, connecting communities together, making our society function. That's our job. It's an important... Sorry, I'll just make... Sorry. It, you, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, we've been through what has really been a time where some issues have needed great scientific understanding, yet there has been elements that have been almost anti-science. You're not coming over as though you're just saying, oh, we've got the answer is 42, are you? You're talking about getting science as part of the debate, a stronger part of the debate. Is that why it's important to have an office in Canberra? It is. It's bringing some rigour to the decision-making processes. And we made a very conscious decision to set up the first branded NTRO office in Canberra to provide the Commonwealth Government of Australia, who are a shareholder of, of ARB and NTRO, um, direct access to those levels of deep skills. And we've done some really interesting work in the last 12 months with the Department of Environment, the Federal Department of Environment, having a look at recycled product in our road and rail infrastructure. Some really interesting work from the Department of Infrastructure on the freight task and what is a future size of vehicles that will be enabled to be used on our freight tasks across Australia and how is our infrastructure going to be enabled for a connected and automated future. So the Commonwealth are on board with this integrated journey and understanding all of the impacts from the different modes. It has been a situation of what has been described as climate wars. You think that we're really now accepting the inevitable and moving on with that without being hysterical one way or the other. Well, I think the engineers in the sector building infrastructure across the transport sector have always been rational. Um, we, we take great pride in incorporating resilience measures, recycled product. I mean, roads are the most recycled piece of infrastructure in the world. Every road is 100% recyclable. And we've been doing it for hundreds of years. So it's in our DNA to enable the infrastructure sector to take full advantage of recycled product, reclaimed product, and to build our infrastructure with a new sense of urgency around resilience. Um, the events that are happening across the world and across Australia are more severe, and we do need to really focus on what a resilience overlay is. And I'll give you a good example. The rail uh, link between Adelaide and Western Australia was out for 24 days earlier this year. It wasn't an uncommon event in South Australia. It was a large rain event, but not uncommon. But the washout caused massive disruption. The link between east and west was broken for the rail sector. We just can't have that in the future. So what's the resilience overlay look like for that rail link? How do we ensure that we're delivering better services to the communities in the west linking to the east? What does it mean for the drainage structures? What does it mean for the embankment structures? How are we building a new style of railway line that is more resilient? We have to, have to do the science and the rigour, which is back to your point, David. The science and the rigour are the things that drive change for the future, not hysterical views about the sky's going to fall in, but science and rigour and understanding and engineering best practice. 
And not only, you know, sort of hysterical things, it's often that people have a one-liner as though it summarises everything. Uh, a colleague of mine uh, highlighted, I think, Sherlock Holmes saying, there's nothing more dangerous than an obvious fact, when he, you know, which is really not a fact but a, a, an anecdote or a, a, a supposition even. Do you think that we're... That, that, the engagement is going to be better because we're more open to the complexity and the necessity of having strong scientific background. Well, you've, you've really defined the cause of the National Transport Research Organisation is to give life to engagement on the journey through a prism of fundamental scientific endeavour. I mean, we are going to be the portal that solves these infrastructure problems for the future. How do we enable our communities to function in a changing world? Um, and it's not just changing external environments, it's changing use cases. The next generation want a different outcome from the transport sector than my generation have had from the transport sector. You know, there's nothing more common to me than getting the keys in the morning, getting in the car and driving to work. All those decision-making processes are completely different for generations that are leaving university today different decision making they want different solutions they don't want old solutions from the 1980s imposed on 2022 and beyond environment but our business now reflects all of those future needs we've got a very young and engaged staff um, really deep skills globally connected deep skills and bringing it to the Australian and New Zealand communities. I've done some work with Professor David Hensher on modelling, and one of the points I think came out of it really was that quite often our modelling, as I mentioned earlier, and I think we've talked a little about in the past, gets to an answer at the end, whereas along the way they get some wonderful insights. And there is a possibility of engaging with the public, not with a total answer, but just some of the insights. Your point about, well, hang on, this is not only saying that young people are, you know, have a different approach or you know, are in a different environment, but helping to quantify that, helping to know what it looks like when it's working. Do you think that's part of your engagement and, and, and not just with the technical people, but the people that make the decisions? Absolutely true. And, and this is the journey um, that we'll be going on. And our shareholders are government. So each of the transport agencies of Australia, New Zealand and the Commonwealth and the Australian Local Government Association are our member shareholders. And for them, the challenge is agility. It's agility of thought, agility of process and agility of outcome. And governments find that really difficult. They genuinely find it really difficult to be agile in those processes, thoughts and endeavours and we're here to assist them to give them the confidence of being agile, the confidence of the science and the engineering to support agile decision making. So you can't not plan for 50 and 100 years ahead when you're building big pieces of infrastructure but what you can do is make the infrastructure that you're building agile for change. For example, you know, we currently build and design road pavements with a 40-year design life. Well, nobody in this country or around the world can tell me what sort of vehicles are going to be using our roads in 40 years' time. So do we need the corridor? We absolutely do. Do we need a smooth, safe and effective transport corridor that cars and other vehicles can use? Yes. But do the public really mind if it's got a 10-year life and we put an overlay on it in 10 years' time to last another 10 years to 
it'll enable the agility of changing that infrastructure to suit the circumstance. That's the future thinking. So it's this combination of preserving corridors, thinking for the future long term, but what we build today needs to be built in an agile way so that we can change as this marvellous confluence of transport, technology and energy come together. New drivetrains, new technology, new transport outcomes, all of that convergence will lead to different solutions. Our task is to not allow any of those solutions to be taken off the table. It's way too soon. We've got to keep all of those solutions on the table and keeping the infrastructure that we build today capable of, of change as we, as we progress as a society. You're listening to Overdrive. Kia Seltos was first launched in Australia late in 2019 and became an instant success with its appealing styling, internal space and the usual Kia interior comfort and features. Well, Kia has just released details of the latest upgrade that will arrive later this year. The key highlights include the enhancements to the powertrain design and technology, additional safety and comfort and convenience features, and the Seltos is the second model to feature Kia's telematic system, Kia Connect. The Seltos is available in a choice of two drivetrains with accompanying transmission choice, two engines and four different model variations. It's a slightly complicated choice arrangement with some vehicles being front-wheel drive and restricted to a particular engine and transmission, and some being all-wheel drive with corresponding choices. However, overall the Seltos is an excellent urban SUV that sits somewhere between the small and medium SUV segments and comes with Kia's outstanding owner benefit package. More details on pricing will come closer to the last quarter release. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Morell, Michael Caltabiano and Paul Just for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.